Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of Gestalt IT. Each episode, we bring you the perspectives and opinions of a group of IT luminaries, experts in their field, on a variety of enterprise IT topics. I'd like to take a moment to have our guests introduce themselves before we jump into the premise for today's episode, starting with Carl. Hi, Carl Fugate. I'm a director of cloud technologies at a healthcare software company, and I blog at sdpackets.net. John? John Osmond. I'm a consultant at Albuquerque, New Mexico. I work with small service providers and with the state of office, broadband, or broadband office. Awesome. And Gerard. What's going on, everyone? I'm Gerard Cavallinas. I'm the founder of TechHouse 570. I'm also a network engineer. You can find me on Twitter at gcavallinas, Gerard Cavallinas on LinkedIn, wherever books are sold. All right. Well, thank you all very much for joining us. Let's jump into the premise for today's episode. Not everyone is a developer. We've established that firmly. No matter how many times we tell you that you at least know to, need to know a little bit about development in order to do an IT job. But don't worry, there are solutions that will fix that for you. You've probably heard them described as low code or even no code. You don't have to worry about programming. We'll take care of that for you. And it solves all kinds of problems from a mom and pop two-person shop to the largest enterprise. Or does it? The premise for this episode is that low-code, no-code solutions are not always the only solution. So we, we kind of kicked this idea around a little bit before we started recording, and it was, it was getting pretty interesting in here already. I, I don't want to uh, let these guys have uh, the opportunity to get out of here without expressing their opinion. So who has an opinion on low-code, no-code? Uh, I definitely think I do. Um, so... I've been, you know, working, you know, around the network automation space, you know, for for several years, and I've worked with a lot of different uh, customers and, and environments uh, in that time. And what's interesting to me is, you know, I, I run into some organizations that have a big DevOps um, uh, groups already, where uh, no code, low code solutions don't make sense. Uh, we've already adopted some some sort of kind of global orchestrator and kind of fitting in these these smaller uh, network automation things into that framework uh, without using you know another tool uh, really kind of makes sense for them. But I've worked with others where, uh, especially if it's what they do is very network centric and they work more in isolation than they do um, you know kind of delivering end to end automation solutions. In those cases, I definitely think that no and low-code solutions can make a lot of sense. And that's why I'm, I'm actually glad you said that because I'm the opposite, right? So I'm on more the other end of the spectrum. I've worked for mom and pops, a lot of MSPs, even what I'm currently at now. And one of the things I see is while those solutions are astounding, you know, you got to take into account, like I do, that a lot of these companies don't have dedicated DevOps teams be it from a financial perspective, um, a time perspective, and then you have someone like me who is, even for all of my experience, I'm still a novice slash beginner in the automation space, you know, home labbing and getting my first Hansible playbook to work. So I think a lot of those tools are great. They give you the flexibility, but, you know, we'll go into it more. It comes back to having the tool is one thing, but you have to have the dedicated time, the patience, and the discipline to really understand um, how to actually implement that and leverage that to scale it appropriately throughout your organization. I've run into people lately that don't even have the time to sit down and template configurations and things of that nature. Um, everything is done on the fly. Um, they, they take care of their customers very well and they're very, very oriented on the customer, but they spend a lot of time scrambling in the background because they won't take the time to 
lay out what exactly each customer is going to need that is in common for all of them. So they not only do they not have a DevOps team, they don't have enough time to sit down and work with all the pieces that they would need to handle the DevOps team. Yeah, and that, that's so hard because, again, the tool's phenomenal, but to really maximize and get the full potential and the benefits out of it, you need some time, whether that's a half hour or an hour a day, because it's not a one-size-fits-all type deal, depending on, like, in a space like me, we have different clients from different mediums, from legal to healthcare to, you know, you have different needs and different compliances and, and all kinds of different facets and factors that go into that. But when you have a tool such as that, in order to be able to balance that and show them propositional value, you have to be able to do that. You know, instead of just, here's the tool, then you go over a meeting, you know, and I feel that could, ba that look, that could kind of backfire on yourself, on the company, you know, so it's just kind of investing back into your people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, for me, the, the big part of this is really the people capital aspect. Um, you know, when I'm looking at my organization, it's, you know, regardless of whether I'm saying, hey, I'm going to, to go build this myself or, hey, I'm going to go buy this solution and implement it. To your point, uh, whether, whether I buy a commercial off-the-shelf tool that can do this, I'm still going to have to invest the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm still going to have to make sure that my people can go build those templates because these tools are, in, in order to, to do what the, you know, to deliver on their promise, we're going to need to go develop those templates and those rule sets that it can use to go out and do this. So I... I think for, for organizations where, hey, I'm just, we, we don't do any sort of, you know, DevOps, you know, what, around any other aspect of our um, technology stack, then, then this, you know, really can make, make sense because you, especially if you know that you're going to have a long-term need to be able to do this, you know, in, a, in kind of a siloed uh, manner. So let me put on my evil manager hat for a minute, uh, as I want to do sometimes. <laughs> I have a group of people who are trying to learn DevOps tooling and DevOps methodologies and things like that. Oh, that's just some weird thing that those people are off there doing, and I don't know if it's going to pay off or not. But if I buy a tool, that especially if that tool offers free training or offers the ability to get up to speed on it, now I have a little bit of leverage. We're going to use this tool because we paid for it. We're going to get return on our investment, and you don't have an option not to use it. Forget all that other stuff that you've been doing kind of on the side for yourself this is the way we're going to go. This is the standard we're going to use. Can low-code, no-code tools in a way kind of help force the organization forward into uh, thinking about this, as bad as it sounds, kind of like from a sunk cost fallacy? Yeah, and, and I'll give you an example. Like, Because I know, you know globally, worldwide, everybody's different, right? Whether you're small MSP, big one, everything in between. I'm fortunate that I work for an organization where they do, they leverage that. They're fully adamant on, hey, we want you to grow, learn, take the certifications and so forth, while other ones it's like, well, you know, we don't have the time, we don't have the bandwidth. So in those instances, if, the, if, if that tooling offers a free certification or free training, leverage the hell out of it. Why not? You know what I mean? It's not going to hurt you. It benefits the client. And then now you've become even more of an asset than you already are. In my opinion, you become more, you've added extra skills to your arsenal, and now you're going to be able to better serve the client, better help the organization, and, and just, it's a blanket effect. I think it's interesting. I've actually seen that used in wildly different situations. One is to kickstart things. Hey, nobody knows about these things. Let's use these. Find the best tools. Start working that way. I've also seen them used to specifically anger the people that were working there to say, we don't like this. And they all pulled together and found their own, and found their own way to work the issues out and you build their own tools. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, kind of looking at, um, you know, teams that are, are, are kind of doing this, uh, we, 
the, the, it really kind of depends on what your automation use cases are. Right. Um, you know, what are the problems that you're actually trying to solve? Uh, you know, I, I actually, I get uh, a little bit, you know, worked up on this, you know, uh, when we talk about network automation, because for most people, they think of network automation as configuration automation. But there's so much more than just configuration automation. As we've actually talked with, you know, uh, uh, several different uh, vendors at, you know, Network Field Day events. I think that if you're if you're looking at a, a platform, you know, first and foremost, it's hey, what are what are kind of the out of the box features that I could get that are going to deliver me kind of instantaneous value? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's all, once I do a discovery, I can do some level of of configuration validation right out of the gate. Uh, because they've already got templates that can that can detect you know some of the minor things, right. uh, you know HSRP groups that don't you know that that are misconfigured. Uh, there, there's probably something in these tool sets that you get as out of the box functionality. And so you know for for teams that are looking at this, it's hey, what how much time is that going to save me? Um, and then am I going to be able to reinvest that, to your point, in making sure that I can now go develop or expand on those templates and those rules to be able to get even greater value uh, in the future? Now, to piggyback off that, again, you know, we're recapping, okay, got the tool, what can I do ready to rock and roll out of the box? Okay, I might have to configure, tweak some templates, but the second part of that, and if you look historically, I've said this like 100 million times, I have, is that now you take all this, your knowledge, your tooling, what you know, when you're going to the client, or the customer, how can we proposition this to show them, you know, be that through a proof of concept or, you know, give them something tangible to give them that assurance that, okay, this can work, we can build up to this at scale. Because at the end of the day, doesn't matter what's technology in life, people aren't always apt to change. They're, they're hesitant and that's understandable. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the hell this is. You want me to put this in my environment? Okay, and you can explain until you're blue in the face, no matter how you word it, dress it up. This is more than configuration change. This is, hey, this is maintenance. This is routine, you know, cycles and so forth. But they're just, uh, I'm weary, you yeah. know? So I always feel that's the most, that's the other half to that, to the battle. So one half is getting the, 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 the understanding, the experience, get that as best as you can, still grow. But then the second part of that is, okay, now we have the client here and we need to be able to go ahead and show them the propositional value, what it can bring from us as a company, and then how it's going to help them in the long run I, from I, a bunch of different perspectives. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. So I... You know, one of the things that I've really never seen, you know, it, it, I've had some of these discussions with with some of the the, the partners and vendors that that we've had um, presentations from. Yeah. Um, whether whether you're going to to go out and build it yourself, you know, and take that DevOps approach, or you're going to do this, it's it's how do we get like quantize, um, you know, uh, you know, my time to value, right? Uh, like. Because I think that's really what this what this is about is I need to get a, a particular amount of value whether that's going to be you know cycle saved that, that I can then reinvest uh, in um, in my team to, to be able to make them more efficient or it's I'm going I'm going to uh, you know help you know solve uh, you know other problems and maybe be able to deliver business results you know faster yeah. I think it's 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 Putting some numbers around, hey, this is this is the problem and the outcome that I want to have, and you know what's the investment from a people person, you know, perspective. I mean, obviously, a, you know, a, an opex or a capex as well, but also from a people perspective to be able to deliver that. Yeah, and and one thing too, real quick to add it, like I've been fortunate in my career to, to, to not just be the engineer but manage and 
before even buying the tool, have that one or two, have that team meeting, like, okay, everyone, like, how is this? Do you think this is something that can benefit you? You know, give, set an expectation and then see, you know, kind of gauge the room. Is this really going to be something that can benefit you? Do you think you could leverage this? Kind of gauge the temperature and then go from there. Because a lot of times you get the tooling and... John? I was just going to say that the real answer here is you're trying to build value some way, shape, or form. And the way that you build value, if you're going to be doing the same thing over and over again as you develop the process and the procedures to do it well. And in one extreme, you know, to, for no code, low code, um, I've had people in the past that I mentored that, you know, 10 years later came up to me and said, oh, you remember you used to always tell us, draw it out, show me this? He says, I find myself doing this with everybody I'm working with now. He says, we've gotten to the point where they have physical installers and they're just throwing things up against the wall. And it actually says, route the cables here, hang this thing here, put a, you know, put a screw in right here on the wall. And I mean, that's the ultimate far side of no code at all. Yeah. Um, those, are, those processes and procedures are gonna be the pieces that do everything. And anything that helps you focus and define that process and define that procedure is gonna help. And if it's somebody else has already built in a lot of the programming to do that for you, use it, leverage the, it. The fundamentals, it's nice when they always come back and they help in the long run. You're like, because nothing else is gonna be pushed exactly. forward without those. But at the same time, one of the things we run into a lot, especially in IT, is that a lot of that knowledge does exist at an institutional level. Everyone knows who you would go to in the building to ask this question of. And that's just what they outwardly know. Think of all the implicit knowledge that they already have. Kind of like to your point, John, about writing things down and making sure that the processes and the procedures are all built out. <clears throat> Everybody has a process and a procedure for deploying a switch, an access point, a server, what have you. You know, what order do you run the Windows updates in? Um, you know, how, how long do you wait to you before you join to the domain? Whatever. Low-code, no-code automation systems give you a container to put that institutional knowledge into to force it to be replicated across the entire environment. And it also gives your users, your operation staff, a chance to understand the reason why the policies exist. I mean, there are things that we do even here at Gestalt IT where everyone's like, well, why do we do it like that? And originally it was, well, that was because that's the first way we did it. And then it became a policy because it was always the way we did it. But you're talking about programming. It's just not in a syntax of Perl or Python or anything else like that. It's, it's still code. It is. And whether it's pseudocode or code of whatever, COBOL, Rust, Go, whatever you want to call it. English. <laughs> it, it exists, but just like you don't go off and randomly write programs without an idea of what you want it to accomplish, we still have to have a place to contain the policy. And that's one of the things that automation has had a hard time selling up the stack is what is the value that is provided to the C-suite because they don't think in bits and bytes, they think in dollars and cents. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, because I can't, I, maybe it's my OCD, but I'm a stickler for, like, procedure, dot the I's, cross the T's, kind of go in that order. So, you know, if you're struggling with that, I guess it's a matter, too, of, like, you know, to piggyback off what you were initially saying about people building their own code, it's, I guess, maybe taking away of, it's always going to be about the dollars and cents, but how do we structure that in your own way before delivering it? And that's where I think ties into, like, the, the, the proof of concept and the, you know, and labbing and figuring it out and how to structure it, because, again, if you, Pardon my French, but if you half-ass it and you put it out there, it's not going to be, you know what I mean? Like, the client's going to see that. They're going to see right through that and go, this, this doesn't even make any organizational sense. Why are we doing it this way? Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I think networking is, is a little bit unique in yeah. that it's almost 
always the place that we find the most snowflakes. Um, you know, it's very easy, and I, and I feel in, in all of the other technology disciplines, to kind of stamp out, you know, these repeatable things. Yeah. And, and certainly we can do that to some, you know, to some degree in networking. But the fact is, you know, networking is this kind of self, um, self-organizing thing, right? Uh, if we're using routing protocols, it's going to kind of organize itself um, in a way that, you know, gets itself to kind of this operational state uh, based on, you know, suggestions from a configured state. Yeah. Um, and so when, you, when we look at automation, that, that becomes really difficult to be able to model. And so I think, you know, when we're, when we're looking at these things, it's, it's also, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this up and chunk this down into those pieces where it's like, I, I can make sure that I'm going to have these very repeatable things. Um, and, it, and, and it really forces network teams to be, um, you know, very, very prescriptive in, in how they do things and try to avoid creating these very, you know, these one-off, um, you know, configurations. Yeah, I'm not gonna be saying you're gonna be able to shine it down, it's gonna be perfect right out of the gate, but again, if you can templatize that eventually and, and get it right where you need it, for, for that person, whoever they, you know, he or she may be, they want to come up from the help desk, am I going to say they're going to be, you know, a solid network engineer with 50? No, but if they're still learning, if they have something to start with, that's where they can build upon and then go from there. And then, you know, maybe take that and run with it and start, you know, branching out and to do their own things. But again, if they have a good solid starting point. Is it better to build your own starting point within your group or is it better to go out and buy it from somebody? I think it's, I just, I think like everything, it's going to be circumstantial. Depends on the environment, the client, you know, again, what the needs are at that time. Well, it depends on what kind of resources you have, right? Yeah. We talk to a lot of companies at, at events all day long where they're like, oh yeah, that's real easy. You just get your dev team to write it. And like, how many people do you know that just have a dev team laying around playing foosball all day long? A lot of companies have operational expenditure budget that they need to spend. So for them, it's easier to trade one resource, money, for a solution than it is to trade a different, less fungible resource like manpower or you know, available hours in the budget to do that. And, and so it always comes down to what are you willing to trade to get a solution to give you more payoff in the future? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you have to we have to look at this from a long-term perspective, right? This is this is not a, you know, network automation is not a short something that we have we can really focus on short-term gain. Um, it is definitely a long game that you have to play. Uh, and we do this with tooling all the time. I've been in organizations uh, that, you know, have, they, they change network monitoring tools, you know, every five years, mm -hmm. which is right at that point when that tool finally came into its own and started actually delivering value. And then we've gone off and changed it because there's something new or shiny, um, you know, in that space. And I feel like that's also, you know, one of the, the, the potential pitfalls in, in no and low code uh, automation suites as well, is that we're going to get into that same into that same boat and it doesn't mean that you know we don't have those potential you know uh, you know pitfalls with DevOps but it's going to be we're going to be much less likely to to change that investment yeah uh, because all I have to do is write a check versus I've got to go hire more people yeah I think it's like I said it's we're not reinventing the wheel right if you know in that situation you have a dedicated which I've never been in an organization that's had a dedicated DevOps or I mean so you know what maybe but we you know every company I've been in is just like you know we use that manpower so let's leverage this tool utilize like such a solution as Backbox right they have a bunch of pre-configured you know configurations ready to rock and roll you got to tweak it to your environment 
deploy it. That's solid, you know, again, with learning, but that's a solid solution that right now we could drop in and, and get to town with, you know? We just don't have that dedicated manpower. So again, I, th I feel it's always gonna be circumstantial to what you have going on with, with any low-code, low-code solution. I think a fun way to refer to it is we're not changing diapers, we're changing lives. It's a sprint, <laughs> not a marathon. I think I got that right. <laughs> yeah. backwards. What, what ends up happening when companies implement a low-code, no-code solution that doesn't meet their requirements? Can it sour the organization on these whole ideas? You know, how many times have we heard, oh, well, it worked better the old way, and this sucks because I have to do all, 10 times more effort to make it work the way I want it to. I'm just going to go back to doing things I used to do. It can can low-code, no-code solutions, as streamlined as they are, still end up creating the kinds of chaos we're trying to solve? I'd say yes, because you you when you bring in an, any type of new system, you bring, you're changing the process and procedures that are going on, and if the change is too much or it's too difficult to do with the workflow they have, people will avoid it and work around it and things of that nature. So you're gonna have to sit down with the no-code and low-code pieces and make sure it actually fits your environment. And the environment is not just the you know the, the services you're trying to, trying to get out there, but it's also the people that are gonna be providing them and provisioning them. And I jokingly said, because I did have, because I was like, you know, it, you're right, but it's also, you know, when you don't have a solution, it's like, what the hell, this is difficult and this isn't working. So then you get something right away. And just in my situations, not so much now, but in the past, it's like, we get this new solution, we try it out for a month, and we're like, this sucks, like Tom said. And you're just like, I just feel like, I don't know, patience is a virtue, you have to give it time. And you know, like, I, again, I, I, I get it. I've been on both sides, from the help desk, from the engineering, I get it. But you have to, it's a, it's, it's a matter of perception and the way you approach it. We don't, you just can't just throw it out there and be like, it's, it should work, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably where, you know, a lot of organizations, they, they end up using that, that investment dollars to, it's like it forces them to stick with a solution, right? It's like, I've already paid, you know, X amount of dollars uh, for the next three to five years to be able to, to, be able to use this tool. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna use it, you know, for better or for worse. Yeah. Uh, versus, you know, in a DevOps environment, it's like, hey, I go, I go hire some people, and I start going to do this. It's like, and stuff just doesn't seem to be working, or I don't seem to be getting any value. It's like, okay, I'm just going to reallocate those resources to go do something else now. But I do, but I do think, you know, this, you know, and looking at some of the tools that are coming out, one one area that, you know, regardless of kind of what we're looking at, and we kind of touched on it just a, a second ago. Uh, is kind of around workflows. Yeah. And that's that's one area when we start to look at automation that I don't think gets quite as much attention as it really deserves. Um, it's really important that when we're putting these things together, regardless of whether we're trying to, to do configuration you know, management um, or we're trying to do some so, sort of operational management thing, uh, we need to be able to have very, very well-defined um, and protected workflows. And that is really difficult to build. Um, and I don't care, you know, if what tool you're using, you can use ServiceNow, you know, or, or one of other, you know, dozens of other, you, you have know, to work integrate those workflows in. Yeah, workflow engines. Yeah. You have to, to have this. And so I do think from that perspective, it's, it's really interesting to see that, um, you know, a lot of these tools are, are putting a lot of focus and emphasis around, you know, flexibility in developing those workflows. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say it again, but like before you get any tool, have that four, fifth, sixth, and you have those meetings, not just about the cost, but the overall, the demo's great, but 
do you all y'all think we could really take this and 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 mold this and make something out of this before again investing xxx amount of dollars into that out of that budget it's not just go get it and throw it i've seen both sides happen in my opinion every time have the meetings have that extra two or three meetings it's going to go a long way for the long term goal of your organization that's the development of the process though yeah. if, if you're if you're if whoever you're working with is not invested enough in building the process to build and bring on new tools. Yeah, are they going to have the are they going to have the wherewithal to actually build the process and procedure that's needed to use the tools or to build the tools later? Yeah, and I think that's where you know finding stakeholders you know outside of your network team you know really starts to come into play. Um, you know whether it's your NOC or you know other uh, you know other technology teams you know within your organization. To your point, I, I want to get I want to get others invested in this process. I want to make sure that uh, I'm taking into account um, how this is going to impact others or how they're going to be able to interact or engage with this. That's got to be you know uh, something that you know you have kind of front of mind. And while not kind of on the topic, but just to always befriend your finance people because it'll be your best friend <laughs> when you're trying to get these tools. <laughs> Well, as you can see, there's a lot of discussion that happens around things like this. And I'll tell you, you know, coming from my background in a family that, that was uh, construction workers, you, it takes a lot of tools to build a house, but nobody builds a house with one tool and no plan. And ultimately, whether it's a no-code or a low-code or a full-code or a dev team solution, you have to have some kind of an idea of what you want them to do. You have a project in mind or a way to create future project success and you need to have that either before or, let's be honest, most cases during the process to acquire the skills and the tools to build that. And if you don't, you're never gonna be satisfied with anything that you have, whether it is purported to be the magical thing that fixes all of your problems or not. So you're gonna have to do a little introspection, a lot of writing, and have some meetings before you're ready to decide what the perfect solution is going to be. That'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. I want to thank each of you for tuning in and listening to us. You can always find the latest episode of this podcast on our website at gestaltit.com. We publish episodes about every two weeks. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash video, or follow along in your favorite podcast application of choice. Just look for the, the On-Premise IT Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another great episode. Until then, take care. We'll see you soon. <laughs>